Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at amen at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. In this message, we will discover what it takes to step into the new season that God has prepared for us. Come on, let's give God a big hand clap. Isn't this awesome? Wow. Let me tell you, teamwork makes the dream work. That's what happened this week. I was, uh, every time people come to the church, I would pull out my phone, I would uh, add hours. So I would add hours to the church trying to uh, kind of get an idea of, of the time put in. And as of yesterday, we had put in just over 400 man hours in three weeks. Okay, we did this in three weeks. Isn't that nuts? Yeah, we're nuts, right? <laughs> crazy, crazy. But, you know, watching uh, people come and serve and work was just unbelievable. And uh, so I want to make sure to, to thank everybody. Um, one person I want to thank in, in particular is uh, James and Rachel. I wanted to introduce them to everybody. So we all wave. You don't have to stand up. You, you're welcome to stand up. But uh, so it was back in June that I drove by this place and I called this guy. And uh, we just kind of started talking and it it wasn't really going to happen, and then it was going to happen, and then it wasn't going to happen. And, and uh, James and Rachel said over and over, Rachel especially, she's the brains behind this whole thing. <laughs> Rachel said, I want you in this building. She told me that numerous occasions. And uh, Rachel and James are just a godsend. And I look at them as spiritual grandparents, and I uh, love them so much. What's great is they own this property, and he would come in, and he would say, Pastor, what can I do? What do you want me to do? And I'd say, James, go home. <laughs> and then I'd say that, and I'd say, go home. And he said, no, brother, what do you want me to do? Let me serve you. And he said, can I mow the lawn? So he went and got his lawnmower, and he spent three days mowing. And when I say mowing, like he was mowing he would go over areas that were piled up, and he was knocking stuff down. And he even brought a young man here to, to rake. They jumped on the roof and worked on the roof. Uh, the next day, it comes and says, what do you need, brother? And I said, go home. Just go home, James. And he looked around. And he said, we're missing a lot of baseboards. And he said, I'll go buy baseboards. So he added up like 180 feet or something like that of baseboards, and he went and bought baseboards. And uh, just over and over and over, uh, the heart of a servant. And so these, these two have become friends, and so we appreciate you guys so much. And, um, and Rachel's got my back because James will come up here and talk to me, and she'll give him about 30, 45 minutes, then she'll call him and say, James, leave him alone. She does. She does. And he'll say, I know, honey. We're just talking about the Lord and we're having a good time. And she's like, James, he's busy. Leave him alone. And uh, we just get into those conversations. But uh, we're glad you guys are here. We're glad that all of you are here this morning. This is our, our 
first Sunday in this new building, and so we're glad we got a new look. Um, we figured if we're going to go in here, we're just going to kind of rebrand some things and, and kind of take everything up just to a new place. We're entering into this new season. So if you have your phones, if you're connected on Facebook, you have a smartphone or whatever, we want you to go to Facebook and check in at Exchange Church. This month, starting today in October, every Facebook check-in goes to help provide uh, vitamin-enriched food for children in need, okay? These are uh, kids malnourished, and I don't know if you've ever seen a, a child that's going through that, but it's, it's devastating. Uh, when I met my daughter, Jenica, she was uh, about a year and a half old, and her legs were this big around, and her eyes were almost completely yellow uh, from malnutrition. She had a giant belly uh, full of worms, and she stood there like E.T. She could hardly walk. And she just kind of was this very sick child. So when I say that all of our check-ins go to provide vitamin-enriched food for, for children in need, it goes a long ways. So just you being here, you can check in and help us do missions. Also, if you're, or if you're new to the church, you can text uh, welcome, text the word welcome to 832-772-7375. Did I get it? Did I get it right? Maybe. Uh, well, then don't text it. Yep. 832-772-7375. Give me a hand. I did it. I did it. Uh, you can text the word welcome, and that just kind of connects you, gets you uh, connected with the church. If you want more information, occasionally, every couple weeks or so, I'll send out a message or a prayer uh, to, to the church. You can be a part of that by texting the same number. You text the word loop to that same number, and that's how you can kind of stay connected, but man, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here this morning, but as I was praying, I'm walking around praying, the Holy Spirit was reminding me to make sure that I'm more excited about Him than I am about this. There wasn't enough amens there. That I am more, that I'm careful to be more excited about the presence of God here this morning than I am that we're in a new property, that we got a new building, that we got land. That's exciting. But what's more exciting is that the King of Kings came with us over here. He joined us this morning. Isn't that awesome? And so we're careful to, to be uh, thankful to the Lord for that. But we're talking about new seasons, and this is a new season, and there's still a ton to be done. So a after church, we're going to open up all the doors. We want you to roam, okay? You, there's no hidden places in this church, uh, so just w open doors and closets, and we want you to explore and look just to see uh, if you haven't seen the building. But as you look, don't make a checklist, because we know <laughs> there are lots and lots of things yet to be done. Um, so, so just kind of bear with us, and we're going to slowly finish the rest. We've already hit the gas and knocked this out in three weeks. Now we're going to slow down, and we're going to start changing a couple of light bulbs here and there, and we're going to change a couple of, of light switches here and there. And, and, uh, but we're glad you're here. So after service, we want you to explore and uh, check out our new building. As we talk about new season, last week I talked about um, being in a new season, that God's brought us into a new season. 
Uh, that was a word that he spoke over us back in June, that he's bringing us into a new season, a season that we can't even dream, a season that's so incredible and so great that we haven't even begun to dream of what that season looks like. We talked about with that season comes change, with that season comes challenges, and with that season is birth champions. But today we're going to talk about actually stepping into that new season. Okay, there's a difference and in, in, in there's, we're in a new season and then actually stepping in to the new season. The children of Israel were promised something great, okay? There was this, this end result that they were promised, but it took a while before they actually crossed into it. So last week, I talked about a new season. I talked about Pastor Cody. You guys are about to enter into a new season, but just because it is a new season, you have to do something and step into it. So this morning... It's all about crossing over into a new season. So let me set the stage for you. I'm going to talk a little bit about the children of Israel. They were in, enslaved in Egypt. They were under Pharaoh. They had been there for years and years and years, and it was their life. They had taken on the traditions and the culture, and that was just life. God speaks to a man named Moses and says, Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, a lot of people believe uh, that, that God told Moses, let my people go so that they can uh, go to the promised land because that's what I have for them. But that's not what the word of God says. The Bible says that God told Moses, you tell him, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Okay? And then, and then the next chapter, he says it again. You, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go so they worship me in the desert. Over and over, and it's like 10 times, God says, you tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can worship me in the desert. Even though the promised land was the ultimate goal, that's not what God was telling them. Why? Because at this point, the children of Israel didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't know who God was. They didn't worship God. They didn't pray to God. They just, they didn't know anything. So God didn't want them to fall in love with the promises of God before they fell in love with who God was. So God was going to take them through this journey. So they, they escape from the Egyptians. They get out and they, they end up walking around in the wilderness for 40 years. 40 years in the wilderness. They're roaming around. And finally the day is coming that they're getting ready to cross into this new land. So now Moses has kind of moved to the side. Joshua has stepped up. Now he's the commander in chief uh, of the Israelites, and Joshua sends out a couple spies uh, over to Jericho, and he says, I want you to go spy it out, I want you to check it out, and I want you to come back and report to me. So the spies go to Jericho, they check it out, they almost get caught, some of you remember this story, they almost get caught, so Rahab, this prostitute, takes them into her house, she hides them, the cops come in, and they're looking for these two spies, and Rahab goes, um... I think they went that away, okay? And, and then they leave, and, and these two spies come out, and they start talking to Rahab, and they're telling Rahab who they are, and Rahab goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I know who you are. In fact, all of Jericho knows who you are. We've heard what God has done. We heard about that Red Sea that you guys crossed. We heard how y'all got away from, from Pharaoh. We heard about all those. We know who you are. In fact, this whole city, this whole, this nation is scared of you. We're trembling. 
So these two spies, they come back to Joshua, and they're getting ready to report to Joshua. So if you would, stand with me this morning. We're going to start our reading in Joshua chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the Sky Bible. But Joshua Joshua's standing here, and the two spies come back. They're so excited, they say this, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. That's exciting. Then they said, everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. They recognize who we are. They understand who's on our side. This is a big deal. This is exactly what Joshua was wanting to hear. This is exciting. So Joshua sent them over to check it out. They come back and they say, oh yeah, oh yeah, this land is awesome. They're already terrified of us. This is, this is it. This is it. Father, I pray this morning, God, that, that you would just continue to, to uh, change our, our thinking. Father, that you'll change our hearts so that our, our minds and our hearts are completely and totally fixed on you. That we understand, God, that you're bringing us in to a new season. But there's a, a job that we must do to step actually into this season. So, Father, I pray right now that you speak to your church, that you, you uh, honor us, God, with your presence this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. So Joshua, he immediately dispatches uh, guys all over. He tells them, he's like, listen, you go, and I want you to tell all the children of Israel, this is the plan. First thing in the morning, we're getting up, and we're headed to the river and we're getting ready to cross. So they start going and they start getting ready. And the Bible says, verse number one of Joshua chapter three. So Joshua started early the next morning and left for Akisha Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. So you got to understand this journey from where they were at was probably, uh, some, some theologians think it was about two to three miles, a few miles. So it wasn't a real journey to this Acacia Grove where they were going. So they get up early the next morning and they head to this grove. They probably get there and start getting set up before the sun is, is high noon. So they're there, they're established. But when they get there, can you imagine the buzz? Okay, they're, they wake up that morning, well the night before, uh, a messenger comes in, he tells this, this tribe, hey, I want you to get ready. Joshua said, first thing in the morning, we're leaving. So pack up everything, get the women and kids and the chariots, get them all packed up, we're going. They go to the next tribe and they say the same thing. So the next morning, everybody wakes up and they're headed. They don't know where they're going exactly, but they know that they're about to enter into the promised land. So they're buzzing, right? It'd be kind of like if I was to tell the church, hey, we've got a new property. We got a new building. And, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great, and we can do outreaches, and, and we can reach the community. It, wouldn't that be exciting? So they start this journey, and in the journey, excitement kind of starts to build, right? People start talking about it. This is exciting. They start imagining, you know, you got your husband and wife going, and they're talking about what it's going to be like. You got the youth pastors and one of the tribes. They're going, man, here's what we need to do with the youth. We need to do this and this. They start breaking it down. You got the worship pastor, one of the tribes going, man, they better have a killer sound system over there. And, and I mean, they're just kind of getting it all. And the excitement is building, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and they realize, you know what, we're not going to mess up like our forefathers did with Moses, you know. They disobeyed. They missed it. 
We, we're going to obey. We're paying attention. So they approach this river, and all of a sudden, they get there, and they look around. It's no bueno. For those of you who don't speak Spanish, that means no good. I, I forgot, not all of you are bilingual like I am. They, they approach this river and this real estate that they've been longing for, this land that they've been dreaming about and, and been promised, is actually very confusing and dreadful. They realize real quickly that the Jordan River is actually uncrossable. There's a sentence in verse number 15 that gives us a picture and it says this. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. Now, if you go and you study this a little bit, you're going to have to Google and search and thank God for Google. But if you study this out a little bit, you realize that the Jordan River, during the flood season, the currents got up to about 40 miles an hour. 40 mile an hour currents. So this peaceful Jordan River also went anywhere from 3 to 12 feet, and it was about a mile wide as it overflowed its banks during the rainy season, during the flood season. The prophet Jeremiah, he writes about the Jordan River in Jeremiah chapter 12. He says that the thickets of the Jordan River, he talks about the heavy brush, the impassable brush of the Jordan River. One writer and theologian says that it wasn't the river that was so difficult to cross. It was the jungle surrounding the river that was impossible to cross. So they've got this jungle of thickets and brush and, and you know, where I grew up it would be, uh, it would be the... The thorn bushes, you know? It's, it's all of the mesquite trees and stuff. So just imagine all these mesquite trees lining up the Jordan River and bushes and stuff. And they can't even get to the river. And then the water is now coming over into that. So all of this excitement that they've been thinking about as they get closer and closer to the river immediately starts to kind of disappear. The Bible tells us they spent the next three days right there. Probably all three days, their confidence was just eroding away. Their confidence was slowly getting worse and worse. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way just about life in general? You're so excited about something, and then all of a sudden, it's just kind of falling apart. Or you get to that point, and you realize, oh, it's not going to work out like I thought it was. And everything just kind of begins to fall away. You can hear the doubts Uh, Just going through the camps. Maybe the ones of us that are strong, we can make it across. But what about the women? What about the elderly? What about the sick? Because this is a nation. you got to remember, this isn't like a group of 20, 30 people crossing. This is a nation. They're saying, what about the sick? What about the people that just had babies today? Because you got to imagine some of them are like women are having babies today. And they're like, so there's a few of us. We can get across, but what about everybody else? How are we going to make it? It's easy to relate to their emotions. And and so many of us, we face our own personal Jordans, wondering how are we ever going to cross it? How are we going to ever have abundant life when we're stuck in this wilderness? How how are we going to make it with all these blocks and these barriers just stopping our, our journey? But God can turn a no way into a highway. The great question loomed over the camp of Israel, and it's the same question that we face today. It's the same question that we faced back in June and July and August all the way up to September when we find out we got 30 days. Are we going to walk by faith 
Or are we going to walk by sight? How in the world? How in the world are you going to make it through? Some of you have asked yourself in your own personal relationship with God. How am I going to do this? How am I ever going to make it through? Joshua goes on and tells us some things that are echoed all throughout the scripture. And Luke writes about it in Luke chapter 18 verse 27. He says this. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So as they're standing there facing this impossible situation, there's this feeling that starts to just permeate in the crowd that what God says, what what man says is impossible, God says is possible. And and the thing is, is they've already seen miracles happen. They've seen miracle after miracle. I mean, if there was ever a group of people that should have the confidence that this is no big deal, it should be the children of Israel. Because they've seen, I mean, they escaped the Egyptians. They crossed over the Red Sea. I mean, they lived 40 years on manna. I mean, they should have the confidence. But if we're ever going to move from being grounded to grateful or from marooned in the past to marveling in God's future, we have to understand that we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Every church has to get to this point. So we stand on the brink of this God-sized future There's obstacles that face us, but there's three things that we're going to hit on this morning that I want us to focus on if we're going to really follow the God of the Uncrossable. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Follow the movements of God. That sounds really simple and really obvious, right? Follow the movements of God. I mean, everybody in church probably says that. Probably every pastor says that because that's pretty standard. Joshua chapter 3, verse number 2 through 4 says this. After three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it. Break camp and follow it. So what does this commandment even mean? And why, why would God care so much about this box, this piece of furniture, this Ark of the Covenant? What's so big about this Ark of the Covenant? And to understand that, we're going to look inside the box, okay? So if you look inside the box, you can understand why it's a big deal. You can get a clue a little bit about what's happening. If you look inside the box, you see stone tablets, which the finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. Inside that box of the Ten Commandments, which represented to all of Israel God's crazy desire to have a relationship with them. This is one of their first impressions of having an intimate relationship with God. God's wanting to have a relationship, so he establishes this commandment to them. That's inside the box. The next item inside the box is a pot of manna. A reminder of God's gracious provision during the previous 40 years. So what does that mean exactly? Man, I, I've loved talking about uh, what manna is over the years, but, you know, manna is translated to what is it, okay? So for 40 years, every day they would wake up, and the Bible says there was fresh, what is it, okay? So they wake up every morning, and they stretch, and they walk outside, and they're like, oh, we have fresh, what is it? And they're like, well, what is it? Yeah, it's fresh. It's fresh, what is it? And they're like, well, what is it? Yes! It's fresh, right? But during those 40 years, did you know not one person got sick? Did you know that? 
Did you talk about angel food? And, and, and manna becomes whatever it is you need. It is nourishment. So my manna would be salt grass almost every day. It would be steak and taters, okay? That's my manna. It'd be, oh, what is it? It's medium rare, you know? So that's, that's what this manna is. And so in the covenant, you've got this stone tablet that, that reminds them of the relationship that God wants to have with the Israelites. And then you've got this pot of manna that reminds them that God continued to provide. What is it? Out of nowhere, every single day for 40 years. Then there's another item. This was weird. It's a rod. Aaron's rod. And this dead stick miraculously grew leaves and almonds to validate the power of God to use anything he willed to accomplish his will. God took a dead stick and brought it to life. He made it flourish. He made it prosperous. And that dead stick, all the way down to the smallest detail, is in this covenant. It's in this ark, in this box. So you got these stone tablets. You got this stick. And you got this pot of manna. Let me tell you something. These three are historical reminders. Three witnesses to God's love, God's will, God's provision, God's power. The ark was a monument of God's faithfulness to Israel. And they knew it. They recognized it. They recognized the ark of the covenant as God's power. So, even more than that, the top of the ark was gold-plated. And it was called the mercy seat over which two cherubims knelt. Psalm chapter 80 verse 1 and Psalm chapter 99 verse 1 both describe God as enthroned upon the cherubim. God shows up right here. This is his presence, okay? The mercy seat giving current meaning to the past acts of power. Now let me paint a picture for you. The ark was the Old Testament equivalent of Emmanuel, okay? That's what the ark of the covenant represented, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what the ark represented in the Old Testament. This chest was to lead the way, and it meant that God was out in front of us, and that God would be the lead taking the first steps as they cross into Canaan. Their task was to follow God, follow his lead, pursue his presence, come after him. Let me tell you something I've prayed this, and I've been careful to pray this, as we were working on this church over and over and over, and I was preparing the sermon last week, new season, and then thinking about now crossing into the new season, I have been very careful to recognize that as a church, we need to watch ourselves, that we don't get our eyes fixed on this, but that we continue to keep our eyes fixed on him, that we follow that we follow with all of our heart his lead, his movement, his presence, his will, where he's going. It's easy to walk in here and go, you know what? Now we can have church. And we can go back to having church as usual if we would like. That's not where we want to go. There are people all around this building right now and around this, these neighborhoods that are in desperate need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And their hope right now is us. Their hope is us because he's called you and he's chosen you to be a part of it for such a time as this. Verse 4 lays out the process, the procedure by which they're to follow. It says, but keep a distance about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it. 
so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. I'm about to take you places you've never seen. Okay, you've never gone this way, so don't act like you've been there and done that and bought the t-shirt. Because I'm taking you to a, a brand new place, a brand new place. That I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how experienced, how seasoned you think you are. I don't care who your daddy is. I don't care who your mama is. I'm taking you to a brand new place. And what I'm telling you is you keep your eyes on him, not on this, or you're going to miss it. Because you don't know where I'm about to take you. This is what God's saying to the children of Israel. And so God wants, is telling them to keep a very particular distance of a thousand yards between them and the ark. So you've got to imagine, okay, I want you to picture this. All of Israel's encamped around. They're on this hill. The ark is positioned about a thousand yards away from everyone so that everyone in the nation is able to see it. They're watching for the priests to grab it and pick it up and put it on their shoulders with rods. Everybody would understand at that point that God is intending for Israel to breach the Jordan River with him, after him. Watch him and they will follow. But it can only be done if they focused on him. Our new season as a church is only going to be successful if our eyes stay fixed on Jesus Christ. We can't rejoice about this new building. We can't rejoice about this land. We can't rejoice about possibilities about the future if we take our eyes off of him. Because then it's all in vain and nothing will be accomplished. It will stay. It will die. It will decay. And it will be a thing of the past. So we always find ourselves frustrated and looking across at what was supposed to happen, what was supposed to be our promised land, and we never get to enjoy it when we take our eyes off of him. So now then, let's put this together. Centuries later, the true ark of God comes among us in the form of a baby. His name is Jesus. He's called Emmanuel, God with us. See, in the Old Testament, the children of Israel are following this ark, and the ark contains the Ten Commandments. Well, Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he says, I am that law. I have come to not abolish it, but I've come to fulfill it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, Jesus fulfilled the Ten Commandments. In the Old Ark, there was manna, okay? There was a pot of manna to remind them of God's provision, but the New Testament, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John chapter 6, verse 31, it says, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of, for the bread of God is bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Listen to what they say. They said, Sir, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, Hey, I am the bread. What do you think? This is what I'm talking about. They're saying, that bread that you're talking about, that sounds great. We want that bread. And Jesus goes, look at me, baby. I am that bread. I am the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me will never, somebody say never, never go hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never, somebody say never, 
never be thirsty again. I am that bread. I am that bread. So you got the you got the uh, Ten Commandments. You got the manna. Now you got Jesus fulfilled the law, and he now is the bread of life. And there's another symbol in the ark. It's Aaron's rod, God's power to bring death back to life. There's this story in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there's Jesus, and he was crucified on a cross. And three days later, his dead body got up and walked out of the grave. See, in the Old Testament, it was a rod, a stick. In the New Testament, it's Jesus Christ. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law. He is the bread of life. And he is the, the manifestation of death to life. Jesus Christ. We are cons- consistently entering into the future moment by moment as we gaze ahead at the challenges filled with words like cancer and creditors and crisis and division. It's easy for us to conclude that we're stuck in the wilderness and that there's no way out. But I'm telling you, don't throw in the towel. You can't look at your life and go, well, I guess that's just my lot in life. That's just the the cards that I was dealt. Let me tell you something. We as the body of Christ, we go through the same things. As a church, we go through the same ups and downs. As a pastor of the exchange, we've gone through the same ups and uh, and the same downs but we cannot get discouraged because he is the god of the impossible see when peter when he steps out of the boat he's looking at jesus and that's what happens he's looking at jesus and the moment he takes his eyes off jesus he starts looking around him and when he looks around him he recognizes he realizes something you know what he realized that people aren't supposed to walk on water okay So he's looking at Jesus, he's looking in the eyes of Christ, and he starts to walk on water. And he's looking at Jesus, and he's going, wow, this is amazing. And once he takes his eyes off of Jesus Christ, he looks around, and reality sets in. I'm not supposed to be able to do this. The same thing in this church. The moment, the very moment we take our eyes off of him, we'll start to look around and realize it's not easy to plant a church. How do we pay the bills? How do we do this? How do we do that? But when we keep our eyes on God, the second thing we have to do is consecrate ourselves. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Listen, the Hebrew word for consecrate means to prepare, to dedicate, to be hallowed, to be holy, to be separate or set apart. God was telling the people, if you're going to cross the uncrossable, you're going to have to follow the will of the Lord and you're going to have to be set apart. You're going to have to be focused on me. Repentance is about having a relationship with God. If you don't know who Jesus is, then you need to repent of your sins and you need to build a relationship with God so that you can begin to consecrate yourself to the Lord. Consecration in the Old Testament looked like this. It involved things like washing your clothes, abstaining from sexual relations, changing your work schedule, and there are several other things that are listed when it talks about consecration in the Bible. But those things are deliberately meant to interrupt good and normal life functions so that you can focus on God, so that you can focus on God doing amazing things. So what they would do is they would consecrate themselves, they would interrupt the normal schedule so that they never missed what God was doing. Isn't that powerful? 
that they would, they would fast and they would pray and they would set themselves apart so they never missed what God is doing. Consecration means I will set aside the typical and put my spirit on ready to see where God is working around me so that I can join him. To cross the uncrossable, we have to fix our eyes on God. We have to consecrate ourselves. And number three, we have to step out and stand still. Verse number seven and eight, the Lord spoke to Joshua and says, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel so that they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses. So command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. Now I'm going to skip to verse number 13. It says, when the feet of the priest who are carrying the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, come to rest in the Jordan waters, its waters will be cut off, and the water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. So the moment of truth has come. The priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. You got the children of Israel, they're a thousand yards behind. And they, they've been given the command of, from God to step into the water. Okay? To step into the water and get their feet wet. Faith moves you forward in, in ways that, that doesn't make any sense. And to actually step out in faith, there's going to be times where we got to get our feet wet. If you don't, you're never going to cross the Jordan. There's people in this room that have never gotten out, never stepped into a new season, never entered and crossed over into a new season because you've never actually stepped out in faith and gotten your feet wet. We see the Jordan River and we go, okay, what's on the other side? God's promised me and that's, that's, my, that's my destiny. And then we get up to the edge of it and reality sets in. We take our eyes off of God and on our situation and go, wait. This is not going to work. This can't happen. I can't cross this. And so we start to lose sight of that. And, and what he tells the priest is you, you have to go in and get your feet wet. But it's scary. Of course it is. This is crazy. Absolutely. What if it doesn't work? Then stay complacent and mediocre and wonder what might have been. It's called faith for a reason. It's faith for a reason. It's faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. If you could see it, then it's not faith. Focusing on the Lord is essential for consecrating yourself. But we're never going to cross the River Jordan if we don't take a step of faith. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to notice an element of their faith that really reveals itself. In verse number 8, it, sa it says, after they stepped out, they stood still. And I read this over and over and over. They stood still. Why? They're waiting on the power of God. In all their activity, they main maintained dependence. Standing still at that moment was a testimony that, that this was not in their power. This this was all dependent upon God. It was only going to happen if God moved. They stepped out. And when I read that, you think about it. They stepped out. Probably in a lot of their minds, they was expecting it to happen. Now you can read. There's a couple different versions that, that will word it a few ways. But they step out and they stand in this Jordan River. And they stand still. And they wait. And they wait. 
They acknowledged that God was, was at work in their life, and they just ste- stepped out. So I want, you, I want to give you a little sanctified imagination, okay? I'm one of those people, I like to imagine things, and I put myself in these situations all the time. What would I do? Or what if I was there? What would I have imagined it looked like? So you're standing near the banks of the Jordan, and it's thundering, okay? The waters are crashing, and you've got the warriors armed with their swords and shields. Right next to them, you've got the aged men. They're trembling on their staffs. And then you've got these wide-eyed mothers and all these helpless babies, some of whom were born today. And all around are flocks and possessions gathered uh, to move as soon as God opened the way. All the people, their eyes are fixed on the ark. They're positioned high on the shoulders of the priest who are waiting in the shallows of the river. Everyone is ready, clean in heart and spiritually alert, watching for something that only God can do. Already the step of faith had been taken. Now they're standing still and this great hush falls over the crowd. So just imagine this hush falls over the crowd. Someone noticed the waters started to recede. I mean, they started dropping fast. It's like somebody pulled the plug and it just started dropping. Somewhere beyond their sight, in fact, it was 19 miles upstream, the waters were dammed. They mounted into a great crystal heap. The riverbed became dry. It was all bare, all the way down beyond the Dead Sea. You go look at a map. For this, okay, to, so you could really get a picture. 19 miles upriver, the water stopped, and it's dry all the way beyond the Dead Sea. Can you imagine if you're one of those farmers or whatever living down there by the, the river, and you, in, or one of the ladies, and you got the barrels on your head, and you're going to get water out of the river, and you take the water, and then all of a sudden it disappears? You look around you, and water's gone. It's flood season, and there's no water. I mean, that's got to be pretty crazy. This mile wide, this pass, so stupendous was this event in the minds of Israel that they wrote a song about it. In Psalm chapter 114, verse 3, it says this, The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why was it, sea, that you fled? Jordan, that you turned back. Mountains, that you skipped like rams. Hills, like lambs. Here's the answer. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. Why? Why did the waters peel back? Why was the ground made dry? Why was everything so perfect? And he he stops and they begin to sing. Tremble. O earth, at the presence of the Lord, tremble, recognize where this power comes from. Recognize where this miraculous power comes from. And it's by the God of Jacob himself. Wow. Listen, I only long for the day when when God gets to use us in a moment like this. Where we, we fix our eyes on God and we're consecrated before the Lord and we're waiting and we're ready. And then we step out and we stand still. I think we're in that moment right now where we're stepping out and we need to begin to stand still and say, okay, now we've made it to this point. So what's next, God? We've been preaching all year long 
about unhindered, right? The, at, at our church, we had the unhindered banner. Because Acts chapter 28, it ends with Paul writing. He said, now I was akaludos. Okay, I was unhindered. Okay, we are, we are a church that is unhindered. If we're going to be unhindered, then we have to recognize that there's no thicket, no river, no division that can hold us back. There's nothing that can keep us from moving forward and proclaiming Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's up to us now to step out and to begin to stand still and step into our new season. I'm going to ask a couple guys to help me out with this next part. I need Pastor Eddie and Pastor Kevin. And Jojo, if you'll grab Pastor Reuben and Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Cody and TJ and Jose, if you guys will come up. And then Patrick, join me. Jay Nelson, join me. And you guys, join me up here for just a moment. And, and Brian, join me. And then I need John, Lawrence, and Terry. Now, Joshua chapter 4, it starts off like this. It says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe. Tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down in the place that you stay tonight. So Joshua, I'm pretend I'm Joshua, he calls 12 men together and gathers them together. And he appointed the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he says to them, I want you to go over to the, before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes in Israel and this will serve as a sign among you so Joshua sends them out into the river so they go now you gotta imagine in this moment in this moment the most powerful thing has happened they, they just a few days earlier they were camped out and they start leaving the grove and they start going to the river they get up to the river. It takes them a, a few hours to get a few miles. They get to the river and they realize that this is an impossible, impossible situation. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And they start to doubt. They start to question. They start to say, you know what? I mean, this makes sense if you're, if you're strong. I mean, if you can handle this, it makes sense. Let me tell you, when, when we were making these moves and and praying last year and I don't know and I know I've shared this story a few times but last year a year ago we were told that we were probably gonna have to get out of our building and it didn't happen and then we kind of repeated that scenario this summer and so there was part of us that just yeah is it gonna happen is it not gonna happen so we begin to to go and as we get to this place we start to cross over and Joshua he tells him he says I want you to put them and we're gonna put them in a circle So these 12 men, one representing each tribe, they come back. They've gone out into the middle of the river, right where the ark was stationed, where the priests were standing.
at the end, we stopped at verse 6. It says, to serve as a sign among you, that in the future, and this is what Joshua tells the whole nation. He says that in the future, when your children ask, what are these stones? And we're going to have people ask what these stones are because we're going to put them right out in front as everybody walks in. They're going to go, these stones don't look like the rest. Why are these stones different? And when they ask what these stones represent, the Bible says you're going to tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it was crossed. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones are to be a memorial. See, what happened was Joshua says, listen, we're going to put an altar. We're going to build an altar right here. And we're going to leave it here. And for generations after generations after generations, they're going to see this. And when they see it, they're going to go, now, what is, what is this? What's this altar? And you tell your kids, and your kids tell their kids, and their kids tell their kids. This is what happens when God intervenes. When God steps in, he makes the impossible possible. As we move into this church and, and things just begin to happen, the whole mission behind this is that we follow the Lord. That we follow the Lord, that we follow the plans that God has for us. And we put these stones here just to remind us that, man, God was in this. God was in this. I can't begin to describe to you guys all the steps that took place there was one point that James and I were talking and he said legally he's James and Rachel they wanted us in here from the beginning and he said legally if we do this thing it's going to take us months six months to a year we just got out of a church who they were in the middle of a battle remember and it, we were there for two and a half three years and they were still in litigations for us to be able to move into here, there were some things that needed to happen. And it could take a legal route. And didn't have anything to do with us. And man, it became impossible. It became impossible. There was no way. I remember texting some of these guys and going, well, we lost it. <laughs> it's not going to work out. It's not going to work out. But the Holy Spirit reminded me over and over and over. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer, supplication, present your petitions to the Lord. So we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we just trusted God. And in the meantime, we didn't take our eyes off of Him. We just kept going. And, and you know what? All of a sudden, the waters just begin to roll back. We just stood still. We just waited. We just waited on God to move. We stood still. We didn't panic. We didn't go, ah, oh, the Jordan, it's so uncrossable. And we didn't turn around and go, okay, well, let's regroup and, and come up with a new plan. We stood still and we just waited. We just waited. And I was getting texts every day from some of you going, what's going on? What's going on? And I wouldn't even respond about the building for two, two and a half weeks. I don't know. We're just waiting. And then all of a sudden, as we're standing still, the waters just start peeling back. And everything just starts opening up. And all of a sudden, there's this way. There's this way that wasn't there a while ago. 
this way was not there in this impossible situation. In fact, it was so impossible that we as men, as of men of flesh, even though the waters were parted, we were doing this. Right? We were going, okay, we're in. Kinda. And we were going so slow. Because this impossible situation just started opening. Let me tell you something. I'm saying all this to remind you that every step along the way, we have waited on God. We've trusted God. We've kept our eyes on God. Hebrews 12:2 says, keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Where does my faith come from? It comes from him. He wrote it. He told the story. He created it. He built it inside of me. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And so we stand here today and we have this altar and these great men who remind us that every step that we took, God was in it. God was in it. And I so appreciate that. Come on, will you give God a hand clap? You guys stay here. Stay here for a moment. If you guys could help me. I want to say, I want to say thank you to, to one, everybody. Everybody in the church did so, so, so much. Um, when it comes to volunteering and coming up here. And uh, yesterday, I got here at 7 in the morning. I worked a couple hours. And, and as I walked around, my punch list kept getting bigger. I would mark one thing off and then like four things would appear. And I'd turn off my iPhone, restart it, and I'd take two things off and five things would appear. And I was like, stupid iPhone. I mean, my list just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I walked into the back and I was so overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, Irene and Omar show up. And they're like, what can we do? And I was like, uh, can you go hide in that back room and, and do something with it? Then Smyrna shows up and man, people just jumped in. Uh, Carlos came out here for hours and hours, and he weeded this part property. I mean, he hit some weeds that they thought they were safe. They thought they were never going to be hit. <laughs> they were like, man, we've wait, made it this far for years. And then Carlos comes in with a weed whacker and just takes them out. But these guys, um, especially Patrick and Jay and uh, Brian, these guys sit on our board, and Chris Campbell, and he's not here this morning, but, you know, you may not have heard everything, but we were in constant communication, and we were talking. I mean, every other day I was calling a meeting because it was so hard to do over text, so I'd call them and say, guys, can you meet tonight? Can you meet tomorrow night? Brian is on an airplane, and he's on speakerphone because he's not in some of the meetings, and so it was just constant meeting. But these guys just, man, they helped us out so much. And so I want to say a thank you to uh, Brian and Patrick and Jay. Uh, they're lifesavers. When it comes to Brian, he built this sound booth uh, for us. And we kind of had an idea and a vision. We showed him a picture. And boom, sound booth. And Patrick was my go-to. Um, I don't know how to do this. Uh, it, Here's the way I put it. He's my oh crap guy, okay? Y'all got one of those? Every time we would run into a situation and I was like, oh man, how are we going to do that? 
That's my go-to guy right there. And he came up here and he would knock it out and knock it out and knock it out. Jay comes up here and he's serving. He's running around uh, trying to have meetings and going to choir rehearsals. And he's like, okay, I'm up here for a couple hours. I'll be back tomorrow. And it was just constant like that. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys. Tell you I love you. Appreciate y'all so much. Come on, will you give these three guys a big hand? And then our, our pastors, you know, our pastors did just amazing jobs. Uh, I would get overwhelmed. I, I had to repent and apologize to them a couple times um, because it's easy for me to get overwhelmed. You know, there, there became a lot of pressure uh, in this moment, in this building. And so a few times I would get overwhelmed and these guys would step in and just take the load off. And so I appreciate them so much. Uh, and I'll just go, Cody, give them a big hand. I'll give you all hugs in a minute. TJ, Reuben, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Eddie, and Jay. But there's, there's two guys up here that I had to draw special attention to. And, um, and that's John Lawrence and Terry Starr. Uh, so y'all come up here. Come up here. These guys, I'm telling you, uh, John's electrician, Terry's an AC guy. And um, they have spent hours and hours and hours. Terry called in at work uh, to take off to be up here. Every night we've, when we've had an emergency because he's putting in all new systems. We're, we're in the process. It's not even done. We're in the process of putting in all new systems. It's all been, been purchased in here uh, thanks to James and Rachel. Um, and Terry's making it all happen. And so he's worked. He was here all day yesterday working and up in the attic. I became an air conditioner guy for a while. <laughs> I mean, he can deny how good I am, but I'm telling you, I was in the attic, and there's no air conditioning in the attic. I didn't know that. I thought that's why you're an air conditioner, guys. You like air conditioning. But apparently, they don't even know what air conditioning is because they never feel it. So I'm in the attic tying up all. I don't even know what I was tying up. I don't even know what all I fixed and, and did, but I, whatever he said to do, I was doing it. And then John, he stayed up here for, man, four or five days right in a row all day long to help me out. In fact, the first two days that he didn't come up here at the end of this week, I missed him. He called me and I was like, come back. I don't know what to do without you because we spent so much time. I mean, he did carpentry work. He did electrical work. I would, I would, I would finish giving him a job and he would say, you want to do this? And I was like, no, that's just more work. And he would say, I'll do it. And he just kept knocking it out and knocking it out and knocking it out. I mean, he did so much. He had to put in all these three-phase power units so that Terry can put in three-phase air conditioner units. So I'm telling you, thousands and thousands, and when I say thousands, I'm not playing. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars in labor that these guys have saved us. I was asking Terry what this would cost if it was a normal job, and you don't even want to know. Uh, I, I passed out for a moment, but when I came to... 
It was unbelievable. And so I want to say thank you to these guys. And we got you a plaque. That uh, it's a certificate of excellence that just says how much we appreciate all your hard work and dedication and the things that you guys did uh, for the exchange over the past uh, few weeks. So will you give these guys a big hand? Love you guys. Y'all could go. Amen. Amen. Come on. But I got to tell you, I got to tell you, the biggest help in this whole thing, I logged over 100 man hours. And the only way I did that was I had the best wife in the entire planet. Um, she is a quality time person. Y'all know that, some of y'all know what that means. That means that she wants to be around me. Okay, she lo- her love language is she wants to be around me, even if it's for a few moments. And I was up here sometimes 12 hours a day, and, I, and we have two little kids. And we don't have to babysit Jenica as much. She's, she goes to the bathroom by herself now. But, <laughs> but I, have, I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old that can be quite trying sometimes. And... There would be days that she would call and say, are you going to get to come home tonight? And I would say, yeah, I need to. I'm just finish this up. And she would say, no, just stay. Just stay. It's okay. I got the kids. Everything's okay. She would say that over and over. Or she would say, I'm going to bring the kids by, and we're just going to give you kisses and hugs and make your day better. And she would do that over and over and over. And so day after day after day, you know, if, if I was getting a lot of flack from her, you know what I'm saying, it would have been really difficult to get this done. But she released me and said, you know what? This is a season, and you got to do this. You stay and finish it. I would wake up early on Saturday morning, and she would say, no, you go. You stay and finish this. I've got the kids. It's, everything's okay. So, babe, would you come up here? She was a lifesaver. Okay. These are for you. I tried to find a prettier vase. I couldn't, but uh, the, the flowers were, were nice. Now, stay with me. Now, we're going to get ready to close out here in just a second. And I knew today would take a, a few minutes longer than probably normal, but I just want you to bear with me. Um, when we moved into this church, uh, there was a, a church that was here, and they were moving out. And so I would come in, and I was kind of exploring, and there was this back office in the corner back there, and it was locked. And so I asked the church that was in here, I said, do y'all have a key to this office? And they're like, no, that's not our office. James has that. That's somebody else's office. And I was like, really? That's kind of odd. So y'all are in here, and this is not y'all's office. They're like, no. So James shows up, and I said, James, whose office is this? Because he had already given us permission to tear out walls. But I was like, I mean, we're fixing to tear somebody's office up. And he said, oh, that's Johnny Cortez. So that's his office. I said, well, who's that? And James says, he's one of my spiritual fathers. And he begins to tell me the story. So he lets me in this office. And I'm telling you, that back corner room was stacked from the floor to the ceiling with books. 
I mean, it was surrounded in bookshelves, covered in books. I mean, Humble Library has nothing on that office. It was, I had never seen so many books in my life. And I'm looking at these books and I'm like, man, he's got some incredible books. James starts telling me a little bit about his testimony and, and what kind of man he is. And I, I begin to find in closets pictures and billboards of missions trips and crusades that he was preaching at. And so I start to hear a lot of rumors about this guy. And I'm told that, that he was uh, really sick and not given a lot of life left. And one day... Jay Knight walks in. He says, Pastor, I, was, I think I was on a ladder up in the ceiling or something. And we had the carpet ripped out of here. We had the whole ceiling in piles. I mean, this place was trash. And Jay Knight says, uh, there's a pastor, some pastor here to see you. And I got down. I walked over and Brother Cortez walked in. And I was like, wow, man, I've heard a lot of rumors about you. I'm going to ask him to share this story. He's going to pray a blessing over the church. But would you, for just a moment, would you stand and welcome Pastor Cortez as he comes to the front? Come down here. Come here, Pastor Johnny. I want you to share with them, just for a moment, what you told me when you came in to this building. And then he's going to pray a blessing over our church. This will only take about three minutes. When God moves, he's fast. <laughs> Come on. He's fast. I've been sober for 55 years. God delivered me from alcoholism. I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. They used to go to the meetings down the street here every day. One day I spoke a sign that said for rent or sale. And I called, called James. And he came, we talked, and we prayed together. And I'm going to keep this real simple. We prayed together. He got on his knees, and I prayed for him. And then he prayed for me. And the move of the Holy Spirit started from that second. And then he said, if you had this building, Brother Johnny, what would you do with it? Salvation's. He reached in his pocket and gave me the keys. Just reached in his pocket. He gave me the keys. The keys to the kingdom of God. The beginning, the doors open. So my wife and I would come here every day. And little by little, other congregations started to come in. And we would rent them slots. Daily slots. And I saw a lot of things here. And in visions, I would see herds, different herds of lambs and pastors coming through. And they would stop just for a little while. They'd move on. And I told my wife one day, this is going to stop. There's a man that's 40 years old, and he's got a herd, and they're going to stay here, and they're going to, they're going to feed one another, and others are coming after them. I said, I bless this vision. And right now, I tell all of you like uh, Mark 10, 16, where Jesus was blessed. Oh, hallelujah. I died once. I had a quadruple bypass, and I died. And the doctors brought me back to life. 
Over a year ago, I was classified with four-stage cancer. They gave me six months to live. That was six months ago. I was supposed to die. I'm still alive. Yeah. And I'm walking. Not too long ago, I'm going to the hospital, MD Anderson, and, and home to bed. To just stay in bed. In other words, the doctors turned me loose to just die. <laughs> <laughs> May 22nd, 1962, a voice told me when I was 31 years old, I couldn't go to sleep, I couldn't get drunk, and I couldn't get sober. Then I heard a voice, a powerful voice in my head. It said, Johnny Cortez. And I found out that God speaks perfect Spanish. <laughs> he said, you're insane. You keep on drinking. I haven't had a drop since. Went to AA. Traveled all over the world now. All over the world. I spoke at the international convention three times. I'm known well in the, in the circle of Alcoholics Anonymous. And that he, I have actually seen the dead raised three times. As far as I've been, as far as Nigeria, nine countries in South America. So right now, in the name of Yeshua Hamashiach, I bless you. I bless every single one of you just like Jesus was blessed. And I represent the fivefold ministry. And this brother is in the fivefold ministry. And right now, publicly, I make him my bishop. I make him my bishop. He's the bishop of this church. I recognize you as the bishop of this church. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I release this blessing on you. I'll give you an apostolic blessing on the building and everything that I see here that's going on. I saw it before it happened. And uh, if nobody's told you today that they love you, I love you and there's nothing you yeah. can do about that's it. He walked in that door and he's, he began to prophesy over our church. And he said, God showed me that a man was going to move into this building that's 40 years old. And he said, how old are you? And I said, I turn 40 next week. It's powerful. He said, I'm coming to your first service. When is it? I said, October 1st. He said, I'll be there. And I said, then you're going to pray and bless us. <laughs> Amen. Do you receive that this morning? Listen. Listen. A prophetic word is, is one of two things. It's confirmation and edification. And that is a confirming and edifying word for this house. And so I want us to receive it this morning and recognize that who we are and where we are, it's moving from this place. Okay? We're, we're about to make such an impact and a ripple in this community. I received that word. When he said flocks and herds, I see herds, okay? Herds of people that need Jesus. And God sent this church, the exchange church, to be just that. Will you just raise your hands? Just lift your hands this morning. Father, we receive this word right now, God, this prophetic word that was spoken over our lives, God. 
Lord, we know that your plan is greater than our plan. God, your purpose is greater than our purpose. So, Father, we, we right now, we just stand still. We've stepped out in faith, and now we stand still, God. And we ask you to use us. This word, that, that this powerful man of God, Pastor Johnny Cortez, that he spoke over us, God. Lord, we receive that. We are blessed. God, we are, we are the head, not the tail, God. Lord, you're moving through us and and in us in such a powerful way. So God, we follow your lead this morning. God, I pray that every person in this room, every person within the sound of my voice, that they'll recognize that they are called in the full-time ministry, that they have purpose, that they have a a calling for, for your kingdom that maybe they've never even understood before. We speak life into this church right now. God, and today, today is the beginning. Today is the beginning. We mark this day as a memorial as we look back and we go, remember, remember when it all started. Remember that one day, October the 1st, 2017, when it all started. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And we receive that in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted a big amen. 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 Come on, give God a big hand clap of praise this morning.